You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Jesus, we do ask that you would come into this place. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill our hearts and minds this morning. God, that uh, we know we can't learn anything in and of ourselves, but the things that you impress upon us, that you mold and shape us into learning, uh, we're so grateful for. And so we ask now that as the scriptures come to life this morning, I pray that it would come to life in our own hearts and uh, that you would indeed transform us this morning because we're meeting with you, a living God, uh, an active God, one who is in the business of uh, transforming lives. And so just give you thanks again for this privilege that we have to learn from you. And it's in Christ's name we pray all this. Amen. So the moving of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. I want to kind of, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, um, you know, I know a lot of times, even in our own liturgy, uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit is the Holy Ghost. And people hear the Holy Ghost and they go, oh, this is kind of, that's going to be a little odd. We got a ghost thing going on. What is that all about? That's a little intimidating. Is the Holy Spirit a ghost? Is it a thing? Is it an it? Is it a what is going on with the Holy Spirit? How do we, how do we navigate this third person of the Trinity that we know is there? But if we're all honest, we're probably going, that's probably the one I know the least about, right? I know God the Father, good with God the Father. And I'll just be honest, you know, in my mind, I think God the Father, I think, you know, big white robes, big beard, you know, just deep voice. God the Father, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good with God the Father. Then I get to Jesus, and we know a lot about Jesus because Jesus, obviously, throughout Scripture, and especially in the New Testament, He's spoken of, obviously, in the Old Testament of, of the coming of Jesus. And then we get to the New Testament, really know who Jesus is. He came, He was in bodily form, uh, that was God in the flesh. And But then we get to this Holy Spirit or this Holy Ghost that Jesus says, I'm going to leave with you. A spirit uh, that is gonna that's gonna do magnificent things in your life. It's gonna do magnificent things in the church, and I think the disciples showed us really kind of this uh, a glimpse of just this confusion. You know, when Jesus said, "Hey, don't worry, a Comforter's coming, a Holy Spirit is coming to be with you when I leave." Jesus dies on the cross, and where do the disciples go? Uh, not at, actually when he comes back to life, and then he said, tells them, "Hey." The Comforter's coming. Then where do they go? After he ascends into heaven, where do the disciples go? They go back to the upper room, and they lock the doors, and they hide. We don't know what's coming. What does it mean? And they started praying because they began to, to they knew that Jesus was legit at that point. I mean, he'd come back to life. He'd done everything he said he was going to do. And so why would we not expect the Holy Spirit to come? But, oh my goodness, we don't know what this looks like. And what is it go, what's going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes in our life. Um, it's often the Holy Spirit. It's not an it. He, he is often ignored in Scripture. Again, we have the Father and the Son. We kind of know that. It's not a ghost, but it is a person. Acts 1.16 speaks about the Holy Spirit. It says, Brothers, this, the Scripture has been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Uh, so the Holy Spirit speaks. That's one thing that we can see in Scripture is that the Holy Spirit is in the business of speaking into lives, speaking into people. He also leads. Uh, and I'm, again, I'm, we're going to be blazing here, so I'm just moving pretty fast. If you've got a question, throw your hand up. Say, hey, can you explain that a little bit more? Can we talk about that? Feel free to interrupt me. But secondly, the Holy Spirit leads. In Romans chapter 8, 14, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
And so there's a leading of the Spirit that happens in our life when we are in tune with the Spirit and when we ask for that Spirit's leading. And then the Spirit grieves. The Spirit grieves. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It is a he, it's not an it. We see that again in Scripture. Romans 8 tells us that. The Spirit of Christ, Romans 8, 9, and 10. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So there's a Spirit of Christ. It's a He. Uh, the Spirit of Jesus. We see again in Acts chapter 16. And when they'd come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bethana, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so there's the Spirit is not an it. It's a He. It's part of the Trinity. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so often ignored sometimes, often misunderstood. We don't know who He is. And then thirdly, He's often resisted. Um, there tends to be this fear in many people. There's fear because of the unfamiliarity with the Holy Spirit that we resist. I don't want the Holy Spirit because that might get a little crazy, right? And I think automatically, I mean, again, this is me um, growing up in, a, in an era where Benny Hinn was pretty popular on TV if you're flipping through the channels. And so you see Benny Hinn doing some stuff, and you're like, if the Holy Spirit's like that, that's a little crazy. I don't know that I can handle that. I'm just going to step back. I'll focus on God and Jesus We'll let the Holy Spirit do His thing over here. But, wow, what that's some stuff going on that I don't get and I don't understand. And we resist it because of this misconception oftentimes. We resist it because we often think there's no control in the Spirit. So if the Spirit fills us again, it's that Benny Hinn kind of feeling, you know, or that uh, TBN. You pick, a, you pick one of the TBN guys. They fill with the Holy Spirit. They, they lose control. They're out of control. They fall over. They, they shake. They do these things, and we go, I don't want to do that. That seems too terrifying to me. I'm out of control, and I like to be in control. And if you're a person who really likes to be in control, the Holy Spirit is scary sometimes to you. And so it's resisted then because there is a surrender or a lack of comfort involved. The Holy Spirit does like to take us out of our comfort zone, but I do believe that when the Holy Spirit comes and moves us out of our comfort zone, it's for the purpose of growth, and it's for the purpose of chiseling away the things that are of the humanness and making us more like Christ, more like God. And so what role has the church, or what role has the Spirit played in the church over history? Let me give you just a little bit of my story so that you know where I'm coming from. Because a lot of people don't, you may not know this. Um, when I was being uh, interviewed to be ordained as a priest in the Episcopal Church, um, the, the bishop and the, and the committee that was in front of me and, and the priest at the time that I was working with slid a picture across the table from a newspaper article and said, Is this your grandmother? And I was like, Oh no, what is going on? I mean, I didn't even know my grandmother was in the newspaper. This was actually my great-grandmother. But it was my great-grandmother. She was in the newspaper. She had her hair up in a bun because she never cut her hair. Uh, it was down to her ankles. And, um, and she was holding a rattlesnake with her eyes closed praying. <laughs> now, I knew my grandmother, and, and I saw that. I, I'd seen that before. Um, the joke was, if you go to church with... Uh, we called her Mama Williams. If you go to church with Mama Williams, you kick under the seat 
and if the box rattled you might want to leave because it's going to get a little crazy uh, she was what would be what we would call backwoods holiness uh, in the sticks of Fort Payne Alabama and that church is still there I remember it like it's yesterday her house was literally right beside the church and so she would walk to church if you were with her you'd walk to church with her you'd worship for a couple of hours and then you'd take a break go eat lunch and then come right back and do it all over again and it was Sunday was a five and six hour event of worshiping and praising and and praying and and some snake handling and all kinds of stuff and you know I experienced that when I was a young kid I didn't know what to think about it you know I thought number one I don't like snakes uh, a good snake is a dead snake to me I don't like snakes at all uh, I know there's some that are environmentally good but for me a snake is a snake um, and I go all the way back to Genesis and go hey there's a reason he's crawling on the ground we're not, I'm going to stomp him under my feet, just like it says there. So I, I did not like snakes, but I experienced this, this, this spirit moving in a way that I was like, I don't know what that is, but there's something to it. There was something there that was different and something there that it wasn't this craziness. It wasn't this chaoticness. It was something there that I was like, I mean, while they get a little excited and while they they're picking up snakes and I'm not about to touch any of those guys there's something there that I and I think where I saw it in my grandmother was not at church I saw it in her life I'll give you a, for instance uh, this was a story in my family my uncle my great-uncle uh, was so my grandfather's um, brother was a bee handler a beekeeper and he had gone out one day to check on the bees and he did not wear his bee suit. He, he wasn't planning on handling or doing anything. He was just going to check on them. And he goes out to check on them and comes stumbling home after the bees had attacked him. He had over 150 bee stings on his body. And I remember my grandmother, uh, and I was very, very, I, I heard stories about it. I think I was alive when it happened, but I was so young I don't remember this instance but I've heard many stories since then that my grandmother said take him into my bedroom lay him on the bed I'll be in in a minute and she got on the phone and she made one phone call to the church and said it's time to pray and within 20 minutes there are 35 40 people in that home hands on him praying asking the Lord to heal him the idea of let's go to a doctor was no we don't need the doctor we have the great healer We've got the great physician right here. And so they prayed, and they prayed through the night, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And within about 12 hours through the night, he wakes up that morning as though nothing had ever happened to him. Now, can I say that that was the Holy Spirit moving? <laughs> Absolutely, I think it was. Does that happen all the time? No, it doesn't happen all the time. But there was something there that I experienced with that upbringing that I thought, the Holy Spirit does do something. I'm just not real sure what. I don't know how he works. I don't know how he does it, but there's a moving that happens. And so um, that's a little bit of my story. Now, again, that wasn't my regular church, by the way. That was my grandmother's church. I went to uh, a Baptist church that we didn't even think about snakes in a Baptist church, you know. And then growing up, uh, um, went to college and went through the, well, was in the Presbyterian church and then eventually in the Episcopal church. And so I call myself a denominational mutt when it comes to denominations. Um, but all those things pointing me to Jesus 
And there's this, there's these moments in my life where I experience the Holy Spirit in different ways that I want us to, to really kind of look at and see how the Scripture explains some of those things. Um, and I've found that explanation through Scripture. So, um, so the Old Testament, let's, let's just dive into the Old Testament. Look, where's the Holy Spirit work in the Old Testament? Again, oftentimes a misconception is um, God is in the Old Testament, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are in the New Testament, right? If we're, if we're thinking, you see a lot of God, you see a lot of the Father doing some things, we know Jesus came in the New Testament, but really, we begin to see the Trinity unfold in the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Holy Spirit, very present in the, in the beginning of creation, was hovering over the waters. In Genesis chapter 2, gave life to man. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Breath and spirit in the Old Testament are the same word. It's a word called ruach in the, in the Hebrew language. Ruach means spirit. It also means breath. And so you could translate Genesis chapter 2 that God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the spirit of life. So he breathed into him. And then um, he came upon a particular people at a particular time for particular tasks. So in the Old Testament, again, you're looking at Exodus chapter 31. You've got this uh, Beelzel, who is an artist, and, uh, and Moses is to, he, the Lord tells Moses, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Beelzel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And so right away we, see the, we begin to see not only is the Spirit of God moving in creation, but in the people of God, the Spirit begins to give gifts. And we think about that when we get to Corinthians, right? The, all the gifts that are talked about. And, and we'll get there when we get to, uh, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Obviously, our number one thing when I say Holy Spirit, you're probably going speaking in tongues, right? That's the first thing we tend to think about when we think about 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians. Speaking in tongues. That's the Holy Spirit. That's where the Holy Spirit goes. That's not actually where the Holy Spirit does most of His work. The Holy Spirit does His work, and we see it in Exodus, in the moving of giving somebody an ability to have craftsmanship hands and do artistic designs. The Holy Spirit is working. Gideon, for leadership in Judges chapter 6, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian, do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to Gideon, But I will be with you, and you shall stri strike the Midianites as one man. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abazites were called out to follow him. So the Spirit of God is moving in Gideon to lead in the people of God and to lead in the nation of Israel. Samson, we all know the story of Samson, right? The extremely strong man of Samson. Uh, he gets sucked in by Delilah's delight and, and loses some of that strength. But if you read in Judges chapter 15, you hear of how Samson received 
all the strength that he received. It's starting in verse 14. When he came to leave, the Philistines came out shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms, this was after he'd been tied up, the ropes that were on his arms became as flax as they caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. So the Holy Spirit moved in Samson to give strength, but to also to free him from his captivity there. So, Isaiah, if we keep going, Isaiah for prophecy in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And look at what the Spirit of God is doing in Isaiah as he comes upon Isaiah. He gives him the power to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what is the Spirit doing in Isaiah's life? He's giving him the power to speak and to proclaim and to prophesy of the Lord. He was a promised, he was promised by the Father. The Holy Spirit was promised that he would come. And so in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit moving in all these different ways in people's lives and in the people of God. And then we get to the New Testament where there's a promise from the Father that the Spirit will come. I will put in Jeremiah, in this Old Testament talking about New Testament, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with my fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them to the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. So Isaiah is being told by the Lord and he's proclaiming the Lord that his declaration is coming from the Spirit of God leading him. This, I'm sorry, that was Jeremiah. Jeremiah is, is telling that the Spirit of the Lord, the, the, and God is actually saying, I'm going to write it on their hearts this time. It's not going to be a head knowledge. It's going to be a heart knowledge. I love where Isaiah and Ezekiel both say very similar things, where they're saying, I'm going to take the heart of stone, the broken heart of stone, and I'm going to remove this heart of stone, and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh, which is going to have the Spirit within them. And so the Spirit is moving this new heart. In Joel, he talks about the new heart as well. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit. When you hear those words, what do you think about? Do you, do you, what do you think about? Pentecost. Yeah, Pentecost, right? Do you think about that working in your own life? Just going to plant a seed here as we're going to move a little further into this in a few minutes. I will, it shall come to pass, so this is now. It's already come to pass. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And in the pouring out of the Spirit, here's what's going to happen. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even the male and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my Spirit. Think about that. Have, have any of you ever had a vision? Had a dream that you know was from the Lord? 
I'll give you a funny one. This is uh, this is funny, and all at the same time, it's a uh, it's pretty powerful. I've got a friend up in Michigan who um, he was a pastor friend, and he said um, he was he was doing something, and his finger was hurting, and he didn't know what he had done. Like he had hurt his finger, and he said this girl called him who was part of his church. He said this is not something that happened to me all the time. Like people didn't just call me and say. Hey, by the way, I had a dream about you. Uh, he's like, if they did, it was always one of those, oh gosh, who knows what's going to come next. But she said, hey, I had a dream about you, that your finger was hurt, and what you needed to do. And she went on to give him some instructions to do. And he got off the phone, he's like, well, that's just crazy. Yes, my finger's hurting, but why in the world would it be that? It was something silly, like, you know, soak it in this and do it in that and do this. And, and he was like, well, my finger does hurt, so I don't know. Might as well try it, see what happens. He does exactly what she says, comes back. It's like, hey, my finger feels totally fine. Uh, it was this it was this weird, you know, and that's a funny. I mean, he even laughs about it. He's like, who would have thought this girl that I literally didn't know very well at all, she was part new to our church, had called me and said, hey, I had a dream about you and your finger. Um, so it's this Holy Spirit. I mean, there's some miraculous stories about the Holy Spirit working and moving in the lives of people, but it's these dreams and visions and spirits moving. And it... And to be honest, it makes us a little uncomfortable, does it not? Anybody squirming yet of going, whoa, no, the Holy Spirit working like that, that's a little crazy. How's that going to do? How's that going to work? Um, the prophecies that Joel and that Isaiah and so many said were 300 years before they were fulfilled. And then we get to the New Testament. We get to the New Testament where Jesus brought an increased activity of the Spirit in the lives of the people. If you look in John the Baptist... John the Baptist, the Spirit was moving in John the Baptist, and he was baptizing all these people, and he was proclaiming the coming of the King, the Spirit's working in his life. You get Mary in Luke as well. When Mary talks about, if you turn to Luke, I'll turn there real quick just to, to show you Luke chapter 1, where she talks about the Spirit moving in her own life. 1 verse 35, Mary says this, and the or this is Mary's experience. And the angel answered her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God." So the Holy Spirit's activity already beginning to move and increase. If you flip over to Elizabeth's story, just a few more verses in verse forty-one. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep going in Zechariah, in the same chapter, in verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And then Simeon, in Luke chapter 2, the, uh, the baby being, or the, when, the ba when the baby is born, and Simeon experiences baby Jesus in verse 25 here. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was a righteous and devout one, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you got just in the first two chapters of Luke, in the, in the birth story of Jesus, you've got a tremendous uptick of the Spirit beginning to move in the, in the lives of people. 
I don't think it was by any mistake that Luke described it this way, that the Spirit was moving, the Spirit was working, the Spirit said to this, the Spirit filled them here. You've got all these things where the Spirit is beginning to move. John the Baptist actually links the Spirit with Jesus. In Luke chapter 3, verse 16, just in case they weren't clear what was going on, he says this. Uh, Let me get to 16. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, we'll get there when we start talking about the Holy Spirit moving in our life. What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to work in our own life? And what does it mean to be baptized? And then there's this, uh, there's this understanding that there's a baptism of water and a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we'll dialogue a little bit about that. We may not get there today. I really just want to kind of set our basis today. Um, But in the baptism that John is speaking of, in the Greek, he actually says, the the Greek actually means to overwhelm, to immerse, to plunge, and to drench. So we always jokingly say, uh, and we just re-recorded our baptism podcast uh, for new families having their babies baptized just a couple weeks ago. And we were talking, and it was just a dialogue between four of us, Mike, Ben, myself, and Cameron were in there, and we were talking about baptism. And the joke is that, unfortunately, in the Episcopal Church, you don't see too many immersion tanks. You know, it'd be cool if, like, the the floor would slide back, we'd step down in there, really go all out, really do the whole uh, immersion of baptism. But we get a bowl, you know, and you got to figure out that a kid won't fit in the bowl. And nor will, a, human, nor will a, a full-size human being fit in a bowl. So we try to get as much water on them as we can. But there's something beautiful about this baptism. If I were to ever get to build and design a church, by the way, Episcopal Church, I'd make sure that there was a baptism, a full immersion somewhere in there so we could actually do that. Because I, I think there's some legitimacy there that when you go under, it's a symbolism of actually going to death, being put to death and coming to life in Christ. That doesn't negate we won't get into baptism. That doesn't negate the sprinkling of baptism by any means. But it's just a personal preference. But baptism actually does mean to overwhelm. And so when, when the scriptures say that baptism by the Holy Spirit and by water, there's an overwhelmingness that begins to happen when we're being baptized. Because the Spirit moves in us. Again, we'll come back to that as we talk a little bit more about that in another time. So Jesus, the Spirit-filled man... Uh, as he was baptized, and he comes out of the water. You remember, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and began to speak. This is my Son, of whom I'm well pleased. Interesting there, you see all three parts of the Trinity working in the midst of Jesus' baptism. you got Father, you got Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit. They're all present. None of them's going to miss that event, right? Here we are. we got it all. And so Jesus is showing us what it looks like to actually be filled in the Spirit in His baptism. I think it was setting an example of what baptism looks like for us when we are baptized, that we would be filled with the Spirit through baptism. Water, if it was just about water, and I even said this on the podcast, if it was just about water, we could bless a lot of water, make a deal with the fire department and spray everybody and call it a day. But it's not just about the water. The water is a symbol of what's taking place in our hearts and lives. And so uh, the Spirit is very present in that. And then after Jesus' baptism, we know that the Scriptures say that He was led into, the Spirit led Him into the desert for 40 days, or into the wilderness for 40 days. 
So there's a tremendous amount of the Spirit leading in Jesus' life. Jesus predicted the Spirit's presence. So, again, we think about Pentecost, when we start to think about the Holy Spirit moving, uh, the Feast of the Tabernacle in John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Spirit has said, out of his heart will flow living water. And now he said, he, and now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so these New Testament believers who are coming to faith, there's an interesting thing that's happening here. They're meeting the second person of the Trinity, and Jesus is saying, you're going to experience the Holy Spirit in a way powerful way. In fact, uh, one of my favorite passages in John, where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you think I've been doing some great things. Just wait till you experience the Holy Spirit in a way that I'm going to pour him out. You're already experiencing him. But it was almost as if the language there kind of tells us that the Holy Spirit was almost a little bottled up at the moment when Jesus was there. You know, hey, he's here, but, but I'm going I'm to rip the top off here as soon as I leave. Um, and so when that happened, then Jesus says, you think I've been doing amazing things. You're going to do even greater things through the Spirit. Now think about that for a minute. That's you and I. The Holy Spirit has been, the same Holy Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost is still the Holy Spirit being poured out today. And so I wonder in our own minds, are we thinking that way? Jesus did some pretty miraculous things. And he tells us, you're going to do even more. What does that look like in our life? What does it look like for us to do even more greater things than Jesus did? So he healed. Can we heal greater than Jesus? He preached. Can we preach? even greater than Jesus because of the Spirit moving in our life? Can we proclaim the gospel even more than Jesus did because the Spirit is moving in our life? That's what he's telling us. He's saying with the Spirit moving, the possibilities are absolutely endless. There is no cap on where the Spirit can move. Prophecy would be filled in person. The disciples were to wait for the Holy Spirit to fill it says, uh, to wait for power up on high. That's the way Luke describes it in Luke 24. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power on high. So the promise I've been telling you, the things you've experienced through me, I'm about to unleash them on you all, and you're going to do amazing things. And then we get to the book of Acts, and we see the amazing things begin to happen. After Pentecost took place, when the Holy Spirit is unveiled and it is poured out upon them the, de the description in the book of acts is that there were tongues of fire over their heads i would love to have been there man just to experience it uh, there's a the the jesus film i believe um, shows a really powerful image uh, if you've never seen it if you go to that scene where pentecost you can youtube it when just see that scene but the disciples are all sitting around and they're praying and they're literally praying the words that jesus taught them in this scene our Father, who art in heaven, we pray on every Sunday. And they're praying it over and over and over again. And then, all of a sudden, everything starts to shake and move. And it's this very powerful, like, chills on your spine kind of movement. And then you see flames over all their heads. Now, I don't know if it's really what that looked like, but it's a pretty good depiction of what we see Jesus saying, Go, and I'm going to pour out my Spirit like flames upon you. 
and they began to speak and the spirit began to move. And while staying there in Acts chapter one, it says, and while staying there with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which you heard from me. For John baptized with water, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit moving in the lives of the disciples, the very first thing Jesus tells them to do is that you're to be now my witnesses. How do they become the witnesses of Jesus? They're doing the same works that he was doing, but he's saying now you're going to do them greater than me. You're going to do them even more powerful than me. You think that demon, that guy coming out of the, the tomb that, that I took out legions of demons, that's nothing compared to what you're going to be able to do because the Spirit has the ability and the power to work in you greatly. So the question I would have for us today that kind of sets us up for next week, and I think I'm almost out of time, um, that sets us up for next week is what's keeping that from happening in our lives today? What's holding the Spirit back in our lives today? That if we really believe the words of Jesus that says you're going to do even greater things than I've done, why aren't we seeing it? Are we seeing it in our own life? I mean, you can read story after story. If you ever get the, the, the magazine, uh, the, the Martyrs, um, what Voice is it? Of the Voice of the Martyrs. You read the stories of the Voice of the Martyrs, you'll see the Holy Spirit working over in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Israel, in various other places. And I don't know about you, but I read those things and go, why isn't that happening here? And maybe it is, and I just don't hear about it. Maybe we're just not writing the articles about it like they are there. But think about that this week. And next week we're going to talk about how does the Holy Spirit move in your own life? What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to be empowered in you? Don't get scared by that, by the way. Uh, let the Holy Spirit work. Um, one of the things that I love, uh, I went through a conference one time where we talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. And I remember this speaker, this lady got up and she said, for some of you, you're scared to let the Holy Spirit work. And let me reassure you of this, that the Holy Spirit is patient and kind and good. And He's not going to do something in you that totally freaks you out. He's going to move you closer to Him as He begins to work. And, what, and her challenge was, what does that look like for you to take one step closer to letting the Spirit move in your own life? So that's where I want to kind of leave it today. Pentecost, of course, we'll talk a little bit about that next week and what it looked like to, for them to experience new languages, boldness, power, all those things that they experienced. Any questions, thoughts, or comments before we dismiss? That film you mentioned. Uh-huh. I think it's called the Jesus Film. If you were to look up uh, Jesus Film Pentecost on YouTube... Okay. Uh, you'll see, and they may have a couple different ones. You might have to scroll through a few of them, but there's one in particular, that very powerful scene of the flames uh, on their heads, which is really cool. So, Yeah. Any other thoughts? All right, we want to interact. This was me laying the groundwork. Next week, we're going to interact a little bit more. We're actually going to pray and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to do some things in our lives. And so uh, I think powerfully we can, we can say, we can claim that promise that Jesus says, He's going to work even more power through you than he did me because I've left him for him to do that. So uh, let's trust that and pray into that this week, asking God to move. So let me pray for us as we close. Jesus, I do pray right now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit in might and power. 
And Lord, where, where, wherever we've experienced, each and every person in here, wherever they've experienced the Holy Spirit to this point, God, would you take us one step deeper, one step closer to what it means to truly open the full can of the experience of the Holy Spirit in our life. Knowing that, Lord, when you do that, that you'll be patient and gracious and loving and kind. And we don't have to be afraid because you're a God that we can trust. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.